Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Script Shop. It's our podcast. My name is Jack, and I just noticed that these pants have more wear and tear, like right around the seam here, than I thought they did. I'm just now mm-hmm. noticing that these... It makes me sad, because I like these pants a lot, and they're, they're, I think they're, they're on their way to maybe retirement. Why don't you just go to the Kmart and pick up another pair, Jack? I mean, I could. These <laughs> probably came from Sears, full disclosure. Maybe <laughs> Old Navy. Hi, guys. This is Allison, and I'm just concerned that Jack's pants are going to fall off in the middle of the studio or something here. I mean, first of all, I'm, yeah, second of all, I'm concerned about that, too. And also, are you really? Like, I'm, your pants no, just might... No, there's just a little bit of, like, distress, like, around... Okay, so you can yeah, see it. show. It's just right here, like, around the seam, around the pocket. Yeah, that looks... <sighs> it's just wear and tear. Just a little bit. I know, but it makes me sad, because, like, I like these pants, and I've worn them for a while, and, like, now it's like, oh, they're human at... Like, they're, they're, they're starting to run their course. Aging. Why don't you just, um, you know what? It, you can put a patch on them. Yeah, I suppose. You could wear them a little bit less. You could go pick up a second pair. Yeah, that feels that feels untrue. To your pants. Mm-hmm. Um, do you wear corduroys? Yeah, I try to sometimes. <laughs> do you ever notice that some parts of the corduroys get more thin because they get rubbed yes. together more? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> They're great for going down the slide. Hi, so this is our podcast hmm. about uh, scripts and screenwriters. Uh-huh. Uh, we talk to screenwriters about their scripts. Yes. And about their lives. And I think you know this already if you're listening, right? If you're Hopefully. first time. Welcome to the show if welcome. it's your first time here. Yeah. Um, we're super excited about all the writers we bring on the show. We love talking to them about why they've written the script, mm-hmm. what it means to them, and how it mirrors their real life, which ultimately we get to because people are just awesome like that. And that's in our art comes from places. And we like finding those places that art comes from in the screenwriters. Absolutely. So, if you're interested in the show, there's a lot of different ways for you to be following the show. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also online at scriptshopshow.com, and on all of the social media platforms, we're available as Script Shop Show. You okay? Yeah, I just, um, I'm talking too fast, I think. I th- Well, I think we're trying to, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're excited. <laughs> I was just wondering. I just wanted to make sure you're okay, because you, you're, you're a busy lady at this point I with a lot it. going on. I and I really am, it. this isn't like a show thing. Like, I legitimately am asking you <laughs> if you're okay. No, so I, I just am talking too fast. And also, when you're pregnant, and I still am as of this recording, and I probably won't be in the next, within five weeks, mm-hmm. all of your pieces get pushed to different places. So there's like a child on my lungs yeah and so if i talk fast and don't have full lung capacity yeah it's just different i've noticed that you have seemed a little more out of breath the past couple there you sessions, go. to be honest with you and i figured it was some kind of because you're being rearranged internally like some it's so weird like some reverse game of tetris inside yeah or that it's like the uh, operation game but instead of like trying to pull out all the weird stuff there's just weird stuff in me well you're you're, you're moving around like the water on the knee and the and the funny <laughs> bone to make room for this other piece of plastic that, that right. has to fit inside like put a new thing in there and right. it's basically the size of a small child it's funny that operation never did like a like a pregnancy sequel or anything they should. like that wouldn't that make so much sense feels like that's a no brainer man and if you touch the electricity the mom goes ah! so yeah we've got we've got various uh internet things that you can connect with us on that we just talked about and our guest today is patrick norman yes he is bringing us a 122 page feature called tyler texas but he is calling us from sacramento ish california northern california Mm -hmm. and so we'll be talking to him about his script and where it comes from for him now you uh, did did did, did the title of this figure in at all to uh, be the selection? knowing your Texas roots, it your did. proud Texas roots? Yes, it did. I am a shameless Texan. Mm-hmm. And I, you know how I feel about dusty westerns and Texas-y type things. So I was like, oh, Tyler, Texas, that was three and a half hours from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Let's read this. Shameless, the- Shameless Texan is my favorite album by the Dusty Westerns, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, in my next life, mm-hmm. when I'm wearing like sequins and being a rodeo. Yeah. Singer star. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that album. You'll happen. be Dusty Western, and you're you'll do the album. <laughs> that yeah. sounds great. <laughs> so, 
Um, Jack, are you reading anything lately? I, I am, and we I actually talked about it before, but I wanted to get into a real specific part of this book that I'm reading. There's a really great book called And Here's the Kicker. Uh, conversations with 21 top humor writers on their craft. This book has essays from guys like Larry Wilmore, uh, Dick Cavett is in here, Robert Smigel, uh, David Sedaris, Mitch Hurwitz. There's a ton of awesome people that have written essays and stuff in this book just talking about their lives and their career. There's a really cool part that I kind of wanted just to, because I, I thought it was very applicable to the show. Yeah, go for it. There's a section in here about quick and painless advice for the aspiring humor writer. And it's, a, it's an interview with Ken Levine, who was a writer and producer of, get ready for this uh, pedigree. All right, ready. MASH, One, Cheers, Frasier, Wings, <laughs> Everybody Loves Five. Raymond, and Becker. Six. That's this guy's, six great things. This guy's had a heck of a career. And he's talking just about when you're writing like a script for like a TV show. And he's got a little bit of advice. He talks about if you're going to be doing it to like a spec script for a TV show, write a holiday-themed script because mm-hmm. that makes you A, different because not a lot of people do that. So like Christmas, Valentine's Day, Halloween. Right. What about Cinco de Mayo? Sure. President's Day. Yes, that's a holiday. Uh, Columbus Day. Uh-huh. What else we got? National Margarita Day. That's pretty much Cinco de Mayo. Well, yeah, and then I think it also, didn't we just have it? Like, Yeah, that's why it's on my mind. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, also, you know, a couple more weeks till I get back into the drinking. Clock's ticking. <laughs> Clock's ticking. But wouldn't that be funny if somebody did write a spec script and instead of it being Christmas, Valentine's Day, or Halloween, or any other like normal holiday yeah. it was an like an off one i think that would be another way to get yourself noticed right <laughs> yeah i think so uh but he also talks about uh avoid using lengthy stage directions in your script you need to be very sparing because then that makes the script easier to read and let's face it you're writing this script to be read not for the script to be actually shot true which i thought was pretty insightful Yeah, true to just put the put it in the dialogue and also talking about sprinkling the script with inside jokes, such as character orders a three-pound lobster, and then in parentheses, therefore breaking the show's budget. Small jokes that will reward <laughs> the reader. That is really funny. Those Anywho, are nice tips. It's a cool book, and it's really insightful, uh, and I would strongly recommend it. And here's the kicker. And here's the kicker. Well, cool. Well, let's um, see what Patrick's reading lately. You want, to, you want to talk to Patrick? Might as well. All right. Hello, Patrick Norman. Hello. Welcome to the show, Pat. Hello, how are you? Pat, Patrick? I feel like that's a specific thing, like people do or don't like to be called Pat. You know, you can call me whatever you like. Pat, Patrick, it's it's all good. I come from a large Irish family where mm. if you call Pat at a family gathering, like half the people that are there turn around. <laughs> so my parents weren't very... Uh, weren't weren't very creative when they named me. <laughs> Is it a large Irish family that's from Texas or from Northern California? I'm actually from the West Coast. Um, I lived in Allen, which is north of Dallas. Um, and uh, my wife and I moved out there for four years for a job that I took. But I'm back here in California and um, and back here on the West Coast. Uh, so, no, we're we're not from Texas. Okay. Yeah, that's exciting, though, because, you know, not being from Texas, there is enough of an experience there to inspire a whole script. I love the people of Texas. Honestly, I do. And I'm not just saying that because you're from Texas, Allison. Thank you. Um, I love the people. It was great there. Um, a little flat for me, being from, you know, the West Coast and the mountains and sure. lots of trees and that kind of thing. Um so anyway, we, we had an opportunity to move back to Northern California, and we took it. Um, what was it like growing up in Northern California? Where the girls are warm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Hey, uh, it was great. It was great. Um, I grew up in um, a little town called San Mateo on the peninsula, mm. just about 35 miles uh, south of San Francisco. And it was great. Um, it, it was idyllic. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. If I could do it over again, I'd pick the same place. That's sweet. Have you always been a writer? Did you write when you were younger? You know what? If you had said 20, 30 years ago, oh, you know, you're going to be a writer one day, I would have laughed at you. Um, my father was a writer. He was a good writer. and um, um, But I never thought that I would be until I just started writing these stories down. And um, it's it, it's actually kind of a... Um, kind of a funny thing. I, I never thought that I would be a writer. Well, how did it get started then? Well, for me, um, I, I came across a couple of scripts, um, 
and uh, one of them was Chinatown. Mm. Um, and it's it, it's so funny because everybody always says Chinatown, you know, Robert Town, and and that type of thing. But it it the script moved me to the point where I was like, wow, I would like to give this a shot. Wow. And um, it was right about the time, you know, 2011, 2012, um, when the Trayvon Martin thing happened. Um, it's another gentleman by the name of Kenneth Ch- Chamberlain. Um, uh, these guys were killed under, under funny, suspicious circumstances. And um, I just started writing. I, I just kind of dreamt about it, and I just started writing about it. Mm-hmm. And um, Tyler was was the product of that. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really, um, so Tyler, is Tyler, Texas one of your first scripts then? It 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 is my first script. Yeah. It is my first script. And I have a couple others that I've written, and I'm working on another one right now I'm pretty excited about, but... But Tyler was the first one that I took to fade out, and um, and it, I don't know if you guys write, but but if you do, you never really finish. You know, Stephen King says, you know, writing is rewriting, mm-hmm. and I agree with that because you know you'll always see something in something that you finished years ago, and you'll say, wait a minute, you have a new set of eyes to look at it after a length of time, and you'll change things and add things and. Um, and that's kind of what I've done over the last couple of years. So if you if if the the screenwriting thing is uh, I mean relatively new, it's only a few years old. What's your yeah. I mean is there is there is there a day job? What's your day to day like that you're sort of fitting writing in with? I I have a day job and and it's inside sales. I'm a salesman. I'm a I'm a guy that gets you to get those things that you're not quite sure you really need. And um, <laughs> and so. Um, People call me and we talk about the things that, you know, the products that we have and, and I set them up with um, the right product, you know, depending on their needs and, and what they're using them for. Oh, sorry, Jack. I'm so, I, just, I just want to, I'm really sorry. I just want I used to sell, uh, I, I was sort of a radio ad salesman for a little bit. I, I've got a career in radio and I used to be in sales when I was first fresh out of college and I was bad at it. Uh, and I've always thought uh, I don't that, believe that it's no, it's true. I, I was I'm, I'm not a good salesperson, but I've always been sort of. Did you just panic when you had to like ask somebody for the buy? Yes, I'm, yeah, I was really bad. I really? could I could sort of make the pitch, but the clothes was never my strong suit. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I I always thought the people who are like can make a career out of sales is that's a real sort of specific personality. And I was curious about what about your job. Has that you can tell has sort of influenced maybe what you've written so far? Yes, that was my exact question that everyone ah, was just asked. So perfect. no big deal, just being awesome in this. You studio. guys are like, you guys are like two peas in a pod. We're, we really are. We're on a level. It's for disgusting, sure. but yeah. we love it. Can you can you rephrase the question because I'm because I'm not sure I understood exactly what the question was. So you know the way when you have to sell the kind of personality that you have to have and like sort of reading people and the way you pitch stuff and going for closing the sale and that sort of thing. What what elements of being a salesperson do you think influence this work that you're doing? This, uh, I mean, a, a script like this, Tyler, Texas, that you were inspired by after seeing yeah. real world events. How does, how does one influence the other? Well, I think growing up in my family in San Mateo in the late 60s and early 70s, you know, we all got together at the dinner table and my father would, would pepper us with questions about what we did and what we thought about politics and various things going on in the community. And so, you know, um, we, I was always really good. He'd say, look at me in the eyes when you, you know, have something to say. And, and I remember growing up in an environment where we would talk about those types of things with the neighbors. I would, I would talk to adults as a, as a young man, as a, as, as a teenager about adult things. Mm -hmm. And so I think growing up and being in that environment at that age and doing those types of things, um, you learn to read people and see them, and you know sometimes you meet people who are, you know, who are giving you the Johnson and not being you know truthful. And 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 I think you learn to be, um, you can read people, and I I think that that's one thing that I have, which has helped me in the business that I've chose as a profession. Um, 
I started out in the investment industry. I worked for a great big company called Franklin Templeton. Oh, yeah. They're now, um, you know, one of the biggest mutual fund companies in the world. But at the time that I was working for them, they were just a little teeny company, uh, Franklin Resources. And um, but I made it to the broker dealer department there. And, and I it, it, you have to read people and even reading them over the phone and finding out, you know, the different things that they're looking for and and what they expect. Um, I think to some degree you, you learn to read people and, and, um, I think that that lends itself to this kind of thing. You know, you're writing a story about people and ideas and, and, you know, what their thought process is Mm -hmm. and those types of things. And I think that that unique type of upbringing probably lent itself to me becoming this person and writing the way I do. I don't know that, but, but that's just the way. Okay. Yeah. I can see that, that kind of by connecting with people through the practice of sales or just like interacting with them helps you maybe develop characters a little bit differently or a little bit more specifically. Um, I think so. And, and my father, you know, worked for the airlines, he worked for United airlines. So he would come home and he would tell us these stories. He was an amazing storyteller. And, um, I, I attribute, probably all my storytelling to him because he would tell us these amazing stories about being in different places and, you know, the different people that he would meet and just funny stories about them, that type of thing. And that's, that's helped me out a great deal. Mm-hmm. What do you think your writing process is like currently? Uh, my writing process, you know what? I, I, I'm the kind of guy, I've got like 15 different scripts right now. I mean, I'm not even joking with you. I do have that many. And, but when I hear something or I see something or somebody says something, I even um, witness these two people um, communicating just, just the other day. And, and something that this woman said to another woman, I thought, wow, that's really, that's a really cool idea, a, a great thought. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I brought it home and I stuck it down in the file for that particular script. I think I think that this would work mm-hmm. at some point with this script. I'm the kind of person that just sees something, reads it, says, that's really funny, or that's a really that's a really deep thought that I think might work with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you just kind of are continuously con- collecting research yeah. for different ideas. I I think that I am, uh, but at some point you have to say, okay, cause there's, there's a couple of these stories where I literally have, you know, 150 little pieces of paper and I'm like, Oh, okay. Well now it's time to put this into a story. And then you slowly start to uh, craft that idea for the story. And um, it, it can't just always be about just little ideas. At some point you have to say, okay, well now I have, an idea and that's it's pretty solid idea now i have to kind of move forward on that so you talked about how the influence that your father had on you and the way that he was such a storyteller and now you're getting into the storytelling business or you know the the activity on a regular basis you have kids too right i do i have i have two boys uh let's see one just turned 16 and the other is 12 and uh they're great kids. So the what do you do? You, is there do you feel like there's an influence of you know being a fa- you now being a father yourself that's also influencing your work? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. You know, there there was a time I was a lifeguard in San Diego for five years on the beach. Wow. And I thought I'm never getting married ever. There's <laughs> never, there's no way I'm going to get married. And then I met my wife at a um, a Padres Giants game, and it just it just changed, boom, like that. I saw her and I knew that's the one. That's beautiful. Um, but, but getting back to your question, yes. Um, you know, I, I even wrote Mitchell, who is my oldest son, into, um, into Tyler, as did my father. My father's name, um, his, his, not his real name, but uh, his name was Bud Norman. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew him as Bud. And if you remember... Um, in the script, um, Henry and June, they're on their way back from the store and there's a guy pulled over along the road. Oh yeah. That I wrote my dad into the story. 
Um, and all my friends, people who knew my father said, hey, I can't believe you're, you wrote your dad in. And um, so anyway, he's, he's just an amazing guy. And my kids, I think, are amazing. My son, Mitchell, he's, he's um, very stubborn like me. Uh, but I wrote him in and I showed it to him once and he's just kind of, yeah, dad, great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I got to tell you guys something. Real quick. Man, I don't wish 15 year old kid on anybody. <laughs> um, Patrick, I have a little brother named Chester, Chester 16, and I love him so much. He looks just like me, but he's a 16 year old boy and I'm a 29 year old woman. Mm-hmm. So crazy. <clears throat> Chester, when he was littler, I mean, just a couple of years ago, I'd say, all right, Chester, see you later. I love you. And he'd just go, Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. I think they go through stages. You know, I was talking with a lady that lives across the street the other day, and she's like, "It's the funniest thing. You know, when your kids are young, they love you. You're you're an amazing person. I mean, the way they stand and they look up at you, and then when they're teenagers, they're like, my mother or father is an idiot. Mm-hmm. And then when they're their late twenties, maybe early thirties, they think, you know, mom and dad, they were they were pretty great after all, but so I'm right there in the middle right now. I'm kind of, you know, yeah. the idiot dad, which is fine because <laughs> my wife tells me I have to, you know, pick my, you know, pick my battles, and and so I just kind of watch him closely, and we're just trying to understand strange old creatures they are at that age. Yeah, it's special that these important people in your life make their way into your scripts too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Um, I've got a couple of friends that I grew up with that I'm have written it into my newest script. Um, and, and I asked them about it. I said, is it all right if I use your names? And they're like, they wanted to know about the story. They wanted to make sure it wasn't about an ax murder or something like that. And, and I said, no, no, it's going to be about this. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would like that. So I did. Yeah. Unless it's a really cool ax murderer. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, I, and I think a couple of them even mentioned that. They're like, well, is it a cool accent? You know, are they wearing like cool clothes <laughs> and sunglasses? And stuff? Right. So, um, and you and know, anyway, yes. yeah, with all of these different little pieces of information that you collect or little personalities that you collect, um, it sounds too that there's got to be like a big motivation for you to put them together in a script. For Tyler, you talked about it being the Trayvon Martin um, event. I guess events a nice way to. It's one way of saying it. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. And and I just wonder, do you find yourself writing scripts or screenplays that have social messages attached to them? Well, the one I'm working on now, um, it it does it. Like you see a character arc. Of course, you've read about these things, and um, it. It's about a person and how this individual doesn't have a lot of self-confidence. And by the end of this particular script that I'm writing now, she has an amazing amount of confidence. And she thinks that she's beautiful and that she's intelligent and that she can do anything. Mm -hmm. So um, in this particular – I'm not sure whether that answered your question. But as far as as Tyler goes, um, I just think – I think it's weird that it's – it's been 50 years since civil rights uh, happened and we still find ourselves, things might even be worse now than they were back then. And I'm just wondering, it, it, it's so weird because I had African American friends growing up in San Mateo and our friendship was like any other person that I knew at that time. I respected them and I think that they respected me, but it's just, it kind of seems like, you know, there's a divide. And so what I wanted to convey in Tyler is that, you know, here this new, this, this person is introduced to you out of the blue. Boom. He's there. Henry is there. And how they get to know him and how they come to love him and respect him as a man, not just somebody that's helping them on their ranch, yeah. but somebody they truly love. And when you get to the end and you see, just a, for instance, the way that Ty responds to Henry when he found out that Henry's left and he wants to track him down. So yeah. they go to the railway station um, or rather the bus station and, um, you know, how he runs and he jumps into Henry's arms. Um, that's I think that's 
the character arc right there. It shows, you know, at first they were all very leery. If you remember um, Molly, when she brings out the, um, um, the gas lamp to Henry, she tells him in no uncertain terms, I don't know you. Right. If anything happens to my kids, I'm going to flip you like a cheese omelet. Right. right. So she tells him right there, I'm watching you. And from there, she develops a relationship with him, a, a very friendly relationship. And um, so does June and the other characters in the story. And by the end of the story, there's no doubt in your mind. They all love Henry. They all love Henry. But um, I don't know. It's so funny because people look at things, in my humble opinion, you know, as black and white anymore. And I like what Morgan Freeman said. He said, I'm not going to call you a white man anymore. And I would rather you not call me a black man anymore. I'm just a man. Mm-hmm. And so, but I wonder how much, how many more years it will take before people start to think in those terms. And I don't know the answer. Yeah. I don't think anybody I don't think does. Exactly. Nobody does. Um, yeah. I, Cause so, it's just an evolving social thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's all, it's, everything's just still a process. I mean, it's probably all, everything's a process. So there's a lot going yeah. on. You were talking about characters and stuff, and there are a lot of characters in this script. We should probably start to unpack a little bit of what's going on in here because you're talking about this Henry is your main character and who is – we get to see him serve in Vietnam and see some horrible things happen, including to one of his very good friends, John. Uh, he then comes home from the war, and he's also lost his family into a fire, so it's just him, and he's on his way from the south – uh, in what the early 1970s to try to get out to California where his sister is. And in the meantime, he's going to stop in Tyler, Texas to talk to the family of this friend of his that he lost alongside in the war. That's correct. And he, on his way, uh, gets involved in some, mm. there's a, he has a confrontation with some capital K clan guys yep. that he exacts some very specific retribution on. And he, and he, he kills. That's, that's right. Yeah. He does meet these guys. And then it just so happens that, um, um, being ex military, he decides to sleep in the forest that night, mm-hmm. but he wakes up to a bonfire and he just so happens to that bonfire is a clan meeting and he witnesses someone being hung. And the two people that he um, saw earlier in town are up there on stage, if you will. And he sees both of them and he makes up his mind that he's going to – it's kind of the moment that he, that he breaks, so to speak. Yeah. And, and he says, you know what? I'm not going to take this anymore. Mm-hmm. And he devises a plan and he takes care of it. He takes care of it. So, um, and then he makes his way to to Tyler, thinking nothing of it. Not that they're going to follow him, or were able to figure out that it was him, but uh, they do, and they do track him down. And that's what the rest of the story is. The story is Henry going to Tyler, Henry meeting the family of John, and coming to find that they need some help. That they're rudderless. And, um, and so he attempts to help them and, um, and the community and the McClellan family, they grow to love Henry and they kind of save him at the very end of the, um, of the story. Right. Because when the, the people will, I guess the trackers finally catch up to him, the family comes out and, and literally saves his life. Yeah. The whole town does. Yeah. And, and and then at the same time too, yeah, there's a, many of the people that he knows, yeah. And then at the same time also, there's an element of, I mean, he's trying to find some kind of peace. Also, he's come back from this war where he lost his best friend, only to find that his family is completely gone. And he's to a certain extent, he's a little bit rudderless too, right? He is, he is, and and it's there's a there's a passage near the end of the story where I think Grayson says, you know. I think in a way we helped him also. It's obvious that he helped us. It's obvious that he helped my family. But in a way, we helped him. And I think that they did help Henry because in the back of his mind, you know, growing up in the deep south, 
you know, of Mobile, Alabama, there was black and white. There was there was a line and you didn't cross that line. But when he gets to Texas, which is the reason why I named it Tyler, Texas, a lot of people didn't like the name. And I thought, you know what, this has been the name that I had from the very beginning. And I'm going to stick with it for now until somebody comes up with something better. But I think it actually is a pretty good name because he gets to Tyler, Texas. And and that's where he kind of um he comes full circle. Yeah. He comes to that point where he said, Hey, listen, it's not about, you know, black and white. It's, 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 it's on an individual basis. It's here are these people and I've connected with them. And some of them like, um, Dex who gives him a bad time at the hardware store when they initially meet, he, towards the end of the story, he's, he's made a friend with Henry yeah. and they've, they've come full circle. Um, or, or at least that's what I was trying to convey on, on that. Why did you specifically choose Tyler? You know what? I, um, I, I had been to Tyler a bunch of times, um, you know, being in North Dallas. I was in Allen, which is near McKinney. Um, which is near Farmersville, actually, where I'm from. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Farmersville. That's right in between McKinney and what is that, Greenville? Exactly. Boom. Yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> Jack just I think rolled I've his eyes driven me. through... I've actually driven through Farmersville a couple times um, and to get to, I forget what that road is that takes you to the one road that goes east all the way to Tyler. 35 and, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, Sissy Spacek is actually from a small town in um, right near there, right near there. I can't tell you what it is at, uh, at the moment, but um, I think she would play an amazing June. Oh yeah. And I've tried to get the script to her, but it's it's impossible for a little guy like me to I mean, you have to have an agent or a manager and they have to, you know, be able to perform miracles to get a script like this to someone like like Sessie. But I think she would play an amazing June, just you know, seeing the types of things that she's done in the past. Um but um, no, I in any event, she actually lives right there. Um, trying, I think it's called Quitman or something like that. You would probably know, Allison. We'd have to talk Quitman. to my mom, my baby, my mom, who okay. I refer to as Baby Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. is very good with all the okay. celebs and et cetera in that area. So mm. maybe we'll give her a call at the end of the I'll, show and see if she knows. consult with Baby Debbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Baby yeah. Debbie's got all the answers. Baby Debbie, wow. She's, <laughs> she's, that is so funny. She hates oh, it when Baby I call Debbie. her that, so I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, well, when you say Baby Debbie, I'm, I saw Will Ferrell on the... <laughs> The Jimmy Fallon show not too long ago, and he was dressed up as Little Debbie. Oh, Little Debbie, uh, Little Debbie cookies or whatever those are. Mm -hmm. And it, you guys got to look it up. It was the most hilarious skit I've ever seen in my life. Well, we will, but yeah. we, we want to read a little bit from your yeah. script today. Um, so if you could just hang tight with us for a little bit, we're going to read a selection of your script for our listeners. Um, so we'll be back Great. with you in just a couple of minutes. All right, so we've got today a selection from Tyler, Texas. I, Allison, will be reading for Molly, and Jack will be reading Henry, and Frank will be reading all of our action headings. Oh, you know, we should, um, Patrick, we're uh, we're coming into the scene, uh, it's on page 81, when Molly and Henry, and Henry is uh, sort of letting her finally know why he's there in their town and meeting them. Do you want to maybe give anybody a, a quick synopsis running up to this point? Um, yeah, so, um, Molly has been sick. She's been sick this afternoon. And so you're entering Molly's bedroom. Um, Henry is coming into Molly's bedroom and he's basically just going in there to check on her and make sure that she's all right. And so he goes in and he notices that she's asleep. Um, having, if you guys remember, Henry's family died in in a fire that was started inside their house. So he doesn't like open flame. So he goes right. to put the candle out, and that's where you guys are right now. Okay. And he's been living here with them for a little while now. He's done. He's sort of been fixing the porch and just sort of living in in, in the on the farm and getting to know everybody. He's 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 been living on the ranch, and he's been living in the um, 
in the barn because he doesn't feel comfortable living in the house. Not so much because he's African American and they're white, but because he has those um, those nightmares. Right, right. So if you remember, he had a nightmare earlier in the story, and where Molly goes out and she tells him, "Hey, it's all right, it's all right." But this is this is further on in the story, and um, Molly's been sick throughout the day, so Henry goes upstairs to check on her. And this is the this is the conversation that that transpires. There we go. And listeners, just as an FYI, Jack's reading for Henry, and as we've talked about, Henry's a black man. So yes. just know that as we go into the reading, because Jack's white. All right. Okay. I guess we start with Frank. Frank, whenever you're ready. <clears throat> Interior, Molly's bedroom, later. The room is dark, small candle flickering on the nightstand. Henry comes in. He feels her head again, then goes to leave. Henry... Yes. Where are the girls? They're downstairs. They're fine. They're playing Mr. Potato Head with Gray. Henry licks his fingers and puts out the candle. Moonlight in the room is very bright. We see Henry's knees and lower legs. I don't like candles. I know. I know. Sit with me. Henry looks left, then pulls a chair near the bed. We see them talking for a minute. Then her expression is sad and melancholy as she looks up at Henry in a low voice. Tell me, um, tell me about Bess. What was she like? Concerned look on Henry, thinking. Then his expression changes to a gentle smile. He looks out the window and sighs. She was sweet, like honey. Sweetest disposition you ever saw. Henry nods as if in a dream. She could calm you down by putting her hand on yours or build you up. Real charmer. She had a way with people that I'd never seen before. Wore hair, long, kind of pulled back. Did, did she live near you? No, no. She lived next town over. But her cousins lived just down the street from us. I first saw her at a church picnic. She was so beautiful. I almost swallowed my tongue. Did it take long to say hello? Henry, reminiscing, shaking his head. In my neighborhood. I knew I didn't have much time. (laughs) My friends would have run me over if they had seen her first. I guess I was lucky. I was pretty shy back then, but somehow I got the courage to walk over and say hello. I'm sure she liked you. I don't believe that I made much of an impression, but a few weeks later she touched my sleeve as I was leaving the park near our house. Yeah, she was special. You would have liked her. Been good friends. Molly talking and Henry smiling, but can't hear them. Moments later, Henry reaches for a photo on the bedstand, looks at it for a moment. Recognize anyone? Can you see? Henry holding it in the moonlight and nods as he looks at the picture of the two men, John and Henry, standing together. John was my best friend. Molly has a concerned, sad look as she nods her head. I know. I know, but why why didn't you tell me? I I just couldn't. It's still too raw for me, I guess. I'm sorry. I should have said something. How did you meet? Where were you? We were in the same platoon. He used to do things that make me laugh. It usually got me in trouble. <laughs> his letters were filled with you. Beat. Henry dabs his eye as a tear rolls down his cheek. Yeah, we took care of each other. Henry's voice trails off as he looks out the window. He said you saved his life near Da Nang. Is that true? Slight nod as he continues to look out the window, but doesn't elaborate. Were you with him when... John died in my arms. Last thing he said was your name. Molly's hand over her mouth as she starts to cry. Henry puts his hand on hers. Moments later... He used to tell me about you and the kids, the ranch, and what it was like here. He made me promise to stop by and check in on you. Molly reaches for Henry's hand. He takes it. They sit quietly for a minute. The room is dark except for the moonbeam coming through the window, directly on their hands. I'm thinking of something that my wife told me years ago. It's made all the difference in my life since the accident. She said, Whenever you feel the sun 
the rain, or the moonlight on your face. That's me giving you a kiss on the cheek. I believe that that one thing, that single thought, got me through this past year. Sorrowful look on Molly's face. I know now that you understood what I said that day under the big oak. I'm sure she loved you very much. Molly looking at Henry as he stares out the window. They sit in silence for a minute. She's sleepy and closes her eyes. Will you stay with me till I fall asleep? Sure. And, and scene. We are, we that's are pretty. Pods. Yeah, yeah, that's such are. a sweet little bit between them. You two are possibly the worst readers I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I know, right? Um, that was that was very nice. Garbage, just You're garbage. Sweet. No, I'm just joking. We'll cut it out of the whole thing. <laughs> Patrick, did you no, feel no, was it, was there any weird pressure that you felt to establish some kind of romance between the two? Because the script never goes there, but I feel like that would have been almost the easy way out. No, as a number of people have have asked me, why don't you have? Um, Molly fall in love with Henry, but it, that's that's not the deal. They, I think, they fell in love with each other's with each other's personality. They enjoyed talking to each other, but but not on a not on a sexual level. Just mm-hmm. on a I'm I'm your friend yeah. kind of a level. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that um, Henry um, remembered a lot of the things that John had told him about Molly and the ranch. Um, and then Molly liked the idea of John and Henry, um, being such close friends and right there, the interaction, I mean, they both said those two things during that, um, um, during that particular scene. Uh, so no, they, they loved each other, but, but just as friends, right? What do you think that they both really needed out of each other? You know what? I think that they both used each other to some extent to hold each other up. Yeah. I mean, you know, at first, you know, the first interaction that you you really tell between these two characters is they're under the oak. And um, Molly says, thank you for thank you for talking to Chance. And. They have that communication, if you guys remember, about Chance and how he needs to – he needs some weight on his shoulders, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and so as the story progresses, you know, she says and does various things um, that help Henry, I think. Um, maybe not physically or monetarily, or, but in the sense that um, um, she kind of builds him up, if you will, Um and and so I think that they help each other in that regard, um, or or at least that's the way that I that I wanted it to turn out. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you, know, you get that feeling, but that was the feeling that I was looking for. Well, I think it's there because we talked about both of them kind of being rudderless, and then they they find each other, and they really, I mean, Henry spends a lot of time with this family, kind of connecting loose ends or. Um, healing and resolving with them. Mm -hmm. He does spend time with them. Yeah. And, and thank you for saying that, you know, that they resolve those loose ends. Cause I think that's something I read a lot of scripts lately and sometimes you're reading something and you're saying, well, wait a minute, what happened to uncle Joe or aunt Sally? What, what happened with the, you know, that thing that you guys were talking about earlier, they never, and, and, and sometimes you see this in movies where they do something or they have a particular thing happen earlier in the story, but it never gets resolved. Mm-hmm. So um, I tried as best I could to, you know, resolve those things that um, I had talked about earlier in the story. And um, and I hope I was able to do that. Well, it's nice because I feel like Henry wouldn't be able to leave town in the environment that you've created here even with these other people trailing him and him, you know, almost getting murdered in the town itself, his personal story, he wouldn't be able to leave this town if there were still loose ends. By him coming in and impacting this family and the family impacting him back, it lets them all move on with their lives after these tragedies that they're kind of sharing and working out together. 
Well, that's what I was hoping for. After it starts to rain again, after they get the, yeah. the field, after they buy Pearson's field, after they plant um, vegetables, and after they they kind of, uh, if you remember, June says at one point they're standing next to each other, and he looks down at her, and he notices that she's looking at him, and, she, and he says, what? And, and she says, look what you've done. And he says, what do you mean? And he says, our family engine is humming again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think to some degree, Henry has, he's kind of putting the, you know, the gas cap back on. Everything is, is there. It's working now. And um, um, after, after the town really saves him, when these guys come to lynch him, um, you know, he kind of starts to wrap things up. He says, I've done everything I can here. And um, he even tells Molly, he says, you know, I think that we both helped each other and, and you're going to do great. You're going to be fine. And, and that's kind of the ending for him. And, and that's when he decides, boom, it's time for me to exit stage left. Mm -hmm. And so he, he leaves. Um, one of the things that I really liked in the script was, in the, especially in the beginning, there's a lot of visual uh, description. It, feel, it feels like a lot of the opening scenes that you're describing would be a really good opportunity for the, you know, the, the cinematographer, the DP, to, to sort of flex and, and show off how pretty the area is. There's a lot of overhead shots that you're describing. I thought there was a really good transition going overhead from Alabama to overhead in Vietnam. Do you write, in, in what you've written so far, do you write visually like that a lot? Uh, I, I think like that. I think like that, and like I said, I read a lot of scripts. I, I, I read Almost Famous the other day. If you guys are familiar with Cameron Crowe, sure. he actually grew up in San Diego near where I used to live in San Diego. I lived in San Diego for 21 years. Um, but um, I don't know. I don't know. It just it just kind of comes to me, and, and after you've read, you know, 200 scripts, you kind of get a feeling for, okay, well, these scripts were really – amazing because they kind of told you about what the situation was the um you know where these people were uh the setup if you will um if you read any sid field and you get not only a visual you have to show people you you know you can't explain to them well it was a very beautiful day and it was a robin's egg blue sky and all this stuff but you can tell the director this and so he has an idea of what he wants to you know, what he wants to show as he's filming it. Um, of course, I don't know any of these things, you know, um, but um, it's just di- from different books that I've read and, you know, things that I've listened to and um, that type of thing. Um, I wanted to ask a lot about the kids, all the kids running around in the script, because, of course, the family they there there are just a lot of children of different ages and different places in their lives and then yeah. there are like additional children just yeah. being babysat during the days there and if you just wanted to talk a little bit about where that came from and what it means to the story to you yeah well um i i tried to tie all those loose ends up too ty is the little 5 year old blonde boy now he is dex's son right okay now i've kind of left it as a mystery what's if you remember when um when june drives up to uh see um um to see pastor picks uh the first time they kind of mention that um they mention um let's see um uh gosh i'm sorry you guys caught me off guard uh there's I'm trying to think of the two little girls. There's, um, oh my gosh. Well, there's Heather there's, Bell. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and there's, there's, there's Heather and then there's Annie. There's Annie, right? right. And, and then, so, so Annie is Molly's and John's daughter, John, who was killed in Vietnam. Okay. Now Heather, she comes from a family that's up the road and, um, uh, she just kind of stays there at the family because there's some issues up there. So I kind of left that part out. There's some issues there. Ty is stays there at the uh, ranch, and that's because um, Dex works, and the mother is unable to kind of take care of him for kind of unknown reasons. 
Uh, she might be, you know, a heavy drinker or she might have some mental issues. But you're right. Um, there are a lot of kids here at the ranch. And um, um, that's that's the deal with them is, is, you know, kids need other kids to play with. Sometimes when they're not in school, you know, they need somebody to run around and do stuff with. And so that's how those kids kind of wound up there. Um, were you trying to get uh, at like a family sense. element or kind of a like we're all in this together element by just making this this unit exist in this world? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I've never really thought about it like that before, but I I guess I was. I guess I was trying to have kind of a mishmash of people like um, if you remember um, Grady, who's one of my favorite characters in the story, you know, if if you remember the conversation that Henry and Molly have underneath the oak, she tells Henry that Grady's family owned that ranch before World War II. And when Grady came back after World War II, his parents had sold them right. the ranch. Right. So um, he got to know um, June's husband, whose name was Hank, and and they liked him so much that they let him build a house in the shady corner. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he eventually becomes the, um, I think what they used to call back in those times, um, kind of the foreman around the ranch. So he would kind of move pieces and make sure that things were getting done. Um, that type of thing. So yeah, you're right there. There is a mishmash of different people and they've all kind of been thrown together. Um, Remember, we're still talking about the South and the South for obvious, you know, it's pretty obvious. It, it was very racist back in years past. And and so you're kind of seeing an emergence of, hey, you know what, it's it's not like it used to be, or, it, or at least that's the way it was here in Tyler at this particular time. Now, I've had a couple people, I've sent my scripts and I've actually emailed back and forth a gentleman by the name of Henry Gates at Harvard. And um, he actually told me, uh, you know, what words that they used back in the late 60s, early 70s. He said they didn't use African-American back then. Yeah, That's a modern term. He goes, what they would have said is Henry is a black man or a black, you know, this person or that person. They are black, right? And so he kind of gave me some advice on, you know, what what terminology, what phraseology um, to use for that particular time? Um, so, yeah, I've 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 done my research, and I've I think I've just read an awful lot, and from all of that information, I was able to kind of, you know, piecemeal put this story together, and I've done pretty well in contests. But even the ones that I've done really well in, you know, you expect, I mean, after I did so well in, you know, Filmmakers International, I thought, oh, my God, you know, somebody's going to call me any day. I was, I, I, my, my phone didn't leave my side. Yeah. And no one ever called me. Well, so, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's part of the um, frustration of creating and right? And trying to get, you know, any kind of notice. You, I mean, the, the you have to have the patience of Atlas sometimes, right? Oh, oh yeah. And, and, and I do. And, and here's the funny thing is that, um, Somebody asked me that same question a couple months ago, and I said, you know, when I originally started out, I had no idea I would get to the, this point. I just thought, oh, you know, I'm doing this for fun. This is kind of fun. So my days are so hectic, and, you know, I'm driving kids to taekwondo and to lacrosse and various places. And, and so when I have an hour or two by myself, this is what kind of kind of calms me down, and I just I just write. So, um, so in theory, it would be really great. I think I, I think we were about but, to go to the same point there. I think you, in theory, you are looking to get this noticed, get this produced in some way. Oh, I would, I would very much like for someone to, you know, for an Oprah or a, someone to come down the line and say, "Hey, this is a story that will bring people together. It doesn't divide us; it brings us together, and it shows you." Um, I, I think a lot of the different stories that we've seen in the past, um, you know, Lilies in the Field, Brian's Song, um, um, those types of things, they, they tell it from the perspective of, um, of the white man. But this, 
in a lot of ways, I think you see it from this other person's point of view, the way he's thinking and the way, you know, he's afraid. He's basically afraid of black or, or of white people. But he gets to a point, like if you remember when they're driving down the road and June asks him, you know, do you, do you see this kind of foolishness very often? And he tells her, you know, no, I, I don't. We were separated in Alabama, but when we did find ourselves in this, we would focus on what we had to do and we would get out of it as fast as we could. Well, that's Henry's view of basically white people. And so, but as the story progresses, I think, I think you get the idea that, hey, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, little boys and girls can hold their hands, you know, black boy and a black and a white girl can hold their hand or, and vice versa, they can hold their hand if you remember at the end of the story, that actually comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. You know, um, those that little black girl and that black boy, they're holding hands with the white girl and the white boy yeah. as they're walking towards the um, towards the field. And so it actually did come to fruition. And um, I don't know, I just think it's it's so weird that it hasn't happened already. Why we can't sit down and invite people over our house for dinner and you know, have a hot dog or a beer with someone. And it, 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 it shouldn't matter that you're black or white or Asian or yeah. purple. I it mean, just, it still happens. You're just a man or a woman. You know, it, it, it does happen. It still and, happens. And, and it still comes down to people choosing to do things. Uh, so and, if, and, um, if there are people that do read this or hear this interview and want to get in touch with you, what's, uh, what's the best way? I think the best way would be to email me. And we can email back and forth a couple times. And then um, if they read my script, the one that I sent you, I mean, I have my email address on there and my phone number. But I would probably rather somebody um, just email me at this point and say, hey, you know what? I read your story. I really like it. And um, perhaps we can talk. Um, And then I can schedule something because, you know, of course, there are times of the day that I have to work. But um yeah, if you sent me an email, um, I would love to get back to you and um, we could discuss your idea. Okay. Well, awesome. we'll definitely have uh, links and uh, that sort of connection available on uh, scriptshopshow.com. Cool. So um, great. it was great talking to you about this, Patrick. Thanks for sharing your work with us. Yeah, thanks for your time. Hey, Jack and Allison, thank you so much. I had a great time tonight. And uh, please, if there's ever anything I can do for you, um of course, I'll tell everybody about you, but um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. You're Thanks, welcome. Man. Appreciate thank you. It. All right. Tyler, Texas. There's Tyler, Texas. I like talking to him about um, Farmersville, Texas. Yeah, you guys had a whole moment there. It's awesome that he knows like the highways that run right by there because there's <laughs> my favorite dairy queen in the world Oh, is right off of that highway. And uh, I worked there uh-huh. and I love that place so much. And every time I just think about Farmersville, I just want to go to Dairy Queen. Was there, w- there wasn't anything like special on the menu, right? It was just more about memories there. And Well, and- here's what's interesting. Oh. So you Ohioans, uh-huh. you guys have like Dairy Queen that's just ice cream and hot dogs and tater tots. This is like a full restaurant. Uh-huh. So you can go in and get full menu food and everything. Um, so when we got married in Farmersville, Texas, Brendan Haig, who apparently is making his rounds on this show, B, <laughs> He's made our a friend couple. B that we've talked about it before. A couple references. Um, we all loaded up in the back of some trucks and drove over to the Dairy Queen and he ordered steak fingers to eat. And oh, he, wow. He was like, I've never had these. Yeah. But it's just like chicken fingers, but steak fingers. Are they deep fried or they're just like They're on the definitely grill? deep fried. No kidding. Yeah, deep fried steak fingers. Holy cow. Yeah. He also, <laughs> this is totally inappropriate, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> he ordered um, a dipped cone, because why not? Yeah, sure. And I told him to put the whole thing in his mouth, and he just <laughs> deep throated in this Dairy Queen ice cream that's cone. Very, that's very on brand for our friend. <laughs> it was amazing. That's great. I can still remember the look on his face. <laughs> I'm so jealous that you have that memory, that visual memory of him doing that. I'm going to have to try to talk him into anyway, that. Anyway, Just- that's a great Texas story to wrap up this episode about Tyler, Texas. And um, I really love getting to talk about some of the current social issues that we still face. It's nice seeing those explored in a period piece as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that was like a nice, easy script that kind of touches base on some of these current social issues still. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the timelessness of it is uh, 
definitely a, a theme of the script for sure. Yeah. Speaking of stories and scripts and themes and uh, various things, if you would like to uh, let us know about the ones that you think are important to you and you've written them down, scriptshopshow.com slash submit. We are also accepting uh, scripts on Film Freeway. Yep. Look us up on Script Shop through Film Freeway. Uh, you can get your script to us and we can uh, potentially read it and have you on the show to talk about it, just like we did with our friend Patrick Norman here. That's right. So um, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, send them to us on Facebook and Instagram, or Twitter. And until next time, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.